This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, what a playoffs for Ryan, yeah! And by the way, I planned to say that before I looked at the score for today. But anyways, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. So excited for an early May fantasy hockey episode. I'm sure the 10 people listening are excited to hear what we have to say. Thank you for everyone joining us. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. With me, as always, the fantasy hockey guru himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. I think I'm getting better at rolling with whatever billing you give me off the top. I will be whatever you want me to be. And uh, what I am right now, I'm, I'm excited. We've seen some pretty good playoff hockey. We finally have our first semi-finalists, our first conference finalists. The Nashville Predators have recently advanced on the shoulders and back of Pekka And everyone's saying, like, Pekka oh, yeah, top goalie in the league, no doubt about it. Never got his billing. Of course, we've been all over that over the last like four years but uh hey it's fun to pretend that nothing bad ever happened to pecorine i mean sure definitely if he keeps this up then he will be ranked very high for next year's drafts and i don't think i'll be drafting him especially high i don't think he's bad like he's okay he was good for you in the couple this year for most of the year but clearly he also had some slip-ups but okay let's not start with pecorine we've got a big show for you guys today by the way there's been some news some minor news the kinds of things that now seem exciting and then by the time the trade deadline comes or i guess not the trade deadline what do you call it the july 1st like trade embargo being lifted or free agent signings then like agent signing day yeah, free agent signing day. I don't know if that's the actual name. But anyways, yeah, once that day comes, all the stuff we're going to talk about here is going to seem like such piddling nothings. But for now, it's all we have, aside from some playoff performances. So we're going to go through some of the news, then we're going to go through some playoff performances. I think we've got a pretty good show for you. Before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. They've got great content coming every day, any time of year. You know that they like publish every month a ranking of the top fantasy forwards and defensemen and top keepers. And then I'm sure Dauber Prospects is listing rankings of prospects. Like, it's pretty impressive. Sometimes I get a question on Twitter, Brian, and it's like, who would you take between this guy and this guy in a keeper league? And I'm like, I don't know. How... There was one recently, which maybe I should go and find out what it was and then get your actual thoughts on it. I responded to it. But I checked out Dauber's list of keepers. It was really helpful to give me like a sense of what people are thinking about some of these people in terms of their long-term projections. It's a great site. That's just like the tip of the iceberg of what you could find over at DauberHockey.com. Yeah, and of course, there's sister site, brother site, sibling site, DauberProspects.com, also churning out fantasy podcasts through the offseason, through the summer. One of our own patrons, 
Cam Robinson was over on uh, was a guest over on the podcast recently. You should go check that out for all your prospect needs. Dabber Prospects has it. Wow. By the way, if you're curious, Brian, I have the tweet up. It was from at Hockey Flynn asking, at Keeping Carlson, who has the better three-year future fantasy-wise, Konechny or Fabri? And I saw on Dauber Hockey in their list that they had Fabri a lot higher. I think it makes sense, right? With Steen slowing down, I could see Fabri holding a spot in the top six and the top power play very soon. I'm not sure if that spot is going to be as wide open for Konechny. And also, I guess Konechny maybe has more of an injury risk, even though Fabri's the one who's been injured throughout all these playoffs. Anyways, let's get... On to our content for today. Let's start in Carolina. The Hurricanes have signed Scott Darling to a four-year, $16.6 million contract. That happened on Friday. Chicago had traded for his rights earlier in the week, and I was expecting to come on the show and be like, what does this even mean, trading for the rights? Can we talk about this? Is this going to happen? But I guess, obviously, they knew something. They knew that's all they needed was to send Chicago something so that they can get Scott Darling's rights to negotiate so that they can agree to this deal. Seems like a lot of money for a backup goalie. I'm curious to know, Brian, is... Scott Darling, like a backup goalie, like is he the kind of guy that comes with a pedigree that we expect to one day be a good starter in the NHL and now finally is his chance? Or is this kind of just Carolina rolling the dice on a backup who's been pretty good for a little while, but no one expected him to be a starter and they're just hoping for the best? Well, before becoming a backup goalie, he was like the anti-pedigree. He grew up like not far from where the Blackhawks play, but and as his career progressed, he eventually ended up getting thrown off his college team at the University of Maine in his second year. Then he went through some struggles, or maybe not then, as part of that, probably. He was struggling with substance abuse and social anxiety that were just derailing his life and, of course, hockey career. But he got a chance to begin rebuilding his career over two years in the Southern Professional Hockey League, which you probably haven't heard of it before, unless you've read about him. Uh, It's several large steps away from the NHL and have team names and locations like the Louisiana Ice Skaters and Mississippi River Kings don't give that away, then you can also try and picture it as as a league where it's a big step to get to the ECHL, which is in itself a pretty big step below the AHL. Not a lot of players make that jump. Like, was this a league where people would pay to go watch the games? Or did, like, Scott Darling pay to play in this league, like my brother and his Sunday Jewish men's hockey team? Yeah, I'm guessing Scott Darling wasn't just a rent-a-goalie for these teams. Like, he did get paid maybe a meager wage or salary. And it was like a reclamation path. And it actually like turned out there was a chance meeting with Mitch Korn, uh, who rose to fame as the Predators goaltending coach. And sure enough, with all the hard work and also the breaks that he got, he did Scott Darling. He made the jump to being a full-timer in the ECHL in 2012-13. And that's like only four seasons ago. And even in that time, he's come a long way. He was a full-time AHLer for the Predators affiliate in Milwaukee the next season. And then the season after that, well, we know the rest. Three very good to excellent seasons backing up in Chicago with one Stanley Cup and a couple long assignments while Crawford has been injured to Scott Darling's credit. So that's why I say he's got he's got the anti-pedigree. Uh, nobody you would have ever expected to have an impact, especially like he was drafted a decade ago in the sixth round by Arizona. They could use him now, couldn't they? He's 28 years old and he has 75 career NHL games to his name. So if you're asking, is he somebody who should have been a starter all along? It's hard to say because he just was not on any sort of NHL career track. This could be a chance for him to prove it. 
Yeah, I mean, so, okay, let's take a look a little deeper now in terms of, like, what Scott Darling has done. He's a 923 goalie overall in three seasons with Chicago. He plays 75 games. It's a bit over a season's worth for a starting goalie. He's 28 years old. Carolina was the 27th team in save percentage last year. So, like, you can't do much worse than their goaltending was. So I feel like even if Scott Darling is just average or even a little bit below average, it'll still seem like a huge improvement over Cam Ward and Eddie Lack. And also, I feel like Carolina could be a good team, right? Like, maybe if they had a better goalie, they could have been a playoff team this year. Like, we talked all season long about all of these, you know, maybe fringe fantasy-relevant guys. You know, Skinner was fantasy-relevant all season long. But then guys like Lindholm, Aho, Tara Vinen, Victor Rask, Jordan Stahl, then a defense, you know, Falk, and then Pesci and Slavin. Like, they've got a lot of guys who seem good. Of course, I look at them in terms of fantasy. I don't know how good they are at actually winning hockey games. Obviously, not that great. But I think a lot of it must have had to do with the weak goaltending. I'd be curious to know, like, what tier would you put Dar- Darling in going into drafts next season. Like, do you consider Carolina a good team? Because I feel like to me, if I were to guess, and you always look at it in terms of, you know, how good the goalie is, how good the team is, and then how many games you expect the goalie to play. And it seems like Darling is probably going to get a lot of games. He's getting paid over 4 million a year. I assume he's coming in as the starter. And it seems like he's a pretty decent goalie, at least average from what we've seen so far as a backup on Chicago, though, obviously Chicago's a good team. And maybe you'll say that they were helping him out. But then the big question mark is how good of a team is Carolina? I feel like we don't know because they lose all the time, but it might just be because their goaltending is bad. Yeah. So like there's a lot to unpack with Carolina because they've been regarded as uh, dark horse favorites to contend for the playoffs, not just last year, uh, but the year before that too. Everyone thought, well, they got Eddie Lack, so maybe they're on their way. They're just a goalie away, and they have uh, they have some smart minds in the front office. And by all accounts, Bill Peters behind the bench is a smart man too. But you referenced Elon, their key or their Achilles heel, a twenty seventh in the league in save percentage last year. Even worse, like that was actually an improvement. Over the over the couple of years before that, over Bill Peters's three years with the team, they rank 29th overall in the NHL in all situation save percentage, ahead of only the Dallas Stars since the start of the 2014-15 season. Coincidentally, which is about the time Scott Darling started playing in the NHL. So the question is: Is that save percentage failure? Is that a coaching thing, or is it a goaltending thing? And it's a question you need to ask because, you know, anyone who's saying, well, Scott Darling is definitely better than Eddie Lack. Remember that Eddie Lack arrived in Carolina with a 917 career save percentage, good recent history, and a strong pedigree. And as you know, uh, things have not worked out there, at least not outside of some short spurts. And I think they've wasted him. But maybe this is different with Scott Darling. And there's a few reasons to think that it could be. The first is that Cam Ward at this point, is totally run out of rope by now. Like when Lack was coming into the organization, it seemed like it was going to be a nice transition plan. They tuned for a bit and then slowly hand the reins over to Lack. Uh, but at this point, I feel like the the Kings just have to be out of their minds, uh, hopeless and faithless in their options right now. So no rope for either of the guys there, which means Darling is coming in in a much better situation than Lack was before. Uh, The second reason is maybe the Hurricanes have learned their lesson in choosing to pursue Darling, who maybe he's a goalie that will fit their playing style, which sure didn't seem to be the case with Lack. I'm not sure if they failed to do the research ahead of time or if their goaltending coach just wasn't doing what needed to be done. But clearly Eddie Lack's play and the Carolina Hurricanes style did not jive together. And finally, uh, another reason to think things might be different for Scott Darling and Nett, is that they are a better team overall. So, of course, it's going to be helpful for whoever is tending twine for them. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see 
how Darling is going to be ranked in, you know, draft projections going into this season. Like, I could see him being overrated and people being like, oh, he's going to be the next Martin Jones or Cam Talbot, a backup goalie going to a new team and then killing it in their first year on that team. But I could also see him being underrated because people might be like, oh, it's Scott Darling. I mean, how good could he be and how good could Carolina be? I feel like if it's me, I would tend to be more optimistic than pessimistic if I had to pick a side. I'd be kind of excited to have him as a goalie, especially if I could get him late in my draft. Like I'm saying, I'm not sure if I'll be able to because I feel like maybe a lot of people might be thinking the same thing and thinking that maybe he has the upside to do well like those two other goalies I mentioned. I guess we'll find out later in the summer series, Brian, in Schmorgoliesborg, where exactly you want to put him unless you want to throw out a comparable goalie now where you could see him being drafted around the same time as. Here's the thing. He's a 923 goalie over 75 games, and he's going to a team that a lot of people think have some solid offensive and defensive pieces in place. So it's a place a goalie can succeed. And 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 there's actually been uh, some evidence from this very small sample that could be construed to say that Scott Darling has the potential to be an above average NHL starter. Like the numbers he's put up as a backup over three years equate to what you would expect from an above average NHL starter. Obviously, I can't quite get there myself yet. I just don't have that predictive certainty. And I don't know that anyone does, although I appreciate everyone taking their best guesses. Uh, but I, yeah, I think there's a chance that he can be average at least. I, I think there's a really good shot of that. Above average would be really nice. And I still think it's more likely that he's above average than, say, several other goalies around the league, like Cam Ward, who we know better uh, than what, uh, what to expect from them. Uh, so if you want me to try and tier it, Elon, Try and think of how you saw Cam Talbot or Martin Jones as they headed into their first seasons, respectively, with the Oilers and Sharks. And then, you know, like also Freddie Anderson in a similar case, although several years younger in Toronto. Maybe Ranta, we see the same thing happen if he switches locations next year. Uh, I would put Darling in the good goalie, good team tier, which is usually about tier three, where you want to get an established starter. You know, Cam Ward still lurks, and so does Eddie Lack. But my current thinking is that the number one job is Scott Darling's to lose. And I don't believe he would sign with a team based on his exit interviews in Chicago. I don't think he'd sign with a team that promised him any less. And the Canes have also, with the contract they offered him, definitely put their money where their mouth is on having him as their number one heading into camp. Yeah, okay. Maybe we don't need to spend another like 15 minutes talking about <laughs> Darling. What? One more. Okay, let me throw one comparable at you. Who would you draft earlier, Scott Darling or Robin Leonard? Yeah, that I mean, the, there's huge problems on the back end in Buffalo that Laner was able to make up for. Can he do that again next season? I don't know. So I'm going to go with Darling for that reason. I thought you were going to give me Darling or Rene. Oh, that would be interesting too. Okay, so we'll talk about it more. It's pretty funny, Brian. The, the chat room, by the way, we're doing a live show. I don't know if people realize this. You could tune in every time we do a show, keepingcarlson.com slash live. The whole chat room has been all about this Edmonton blowout of Anaheim. No one even cares about the Scott Darling conversation until Brian, you said that you would put Darling in your tier three. And then Lewis, of course, chimed in and said, you've heard it here, folks. Darling is Brian's favorite goalie. That's high. Tier three. If you're putting him there, that means you're putting him over a lot of guys. But anyways, we'll talk about him more during Schmore Goldsborg. Wanted to get that in. Let's talk about another guy who's even lesser known to most fantasy players than Scott Darling. Another interesting signing. How about the Vegas Golden Knights signing center Vadim Shipachov from the KHL to a two-year contract? And of course, you know me, Brian. I don't know too much about what's going on outside the NHL. But apparently this guy, Shipachov, 30 years old, finished third in KHL scoring this season as a member of Ska St. Petersburg. And I've heard you say Ska St. Petersburg before. That is the Kovalchuk team. Am I right? 
Yeah, and Dadanov and Gusev, they've had uh, some really strong leading scores. Like they are, oh, I would have said like they're like the pre-lockout Toronto Maple Leafs of the KHL, except they have a little more success. Wait, the pre-lockout Maple Leafs? What? Like, what does that mean? I thought you were going to well, say like Pittsburgh Penguins or Chicago Blackhawks. This seems like a star-studded team. Well, it is a star-studded team. It, uh, so maybe, you know, maybe you're right. But like before, what they do is they seem to offer players contracts that other teams can't match. So they try and outspend. Uh, so that that's where I was going. They, they Before there was a cap involved and Toronto would get, I don't know, whatever hot guy seemed great coming out of the prior season. But I think they've had a little more success at choosing the right guys to sign. Okay, so anyway, Shipachov, <laughs> and people in the chat room are also wondering now how to pronounce that, but I'm going with Shipachov until someone tells me something different. Maybe we'll get uh, iTunes reviews saying someone stopped listening because we didn't say his name right. But Hey, hey, to be fair, that, that person who left that, we need to leave them alone already. They apologized. They said it was kind of crazy, and they said they loved the show. So we're not going to rag on that. There are two like anonymous listeners you love to rag on. It's that guy, and uh, uh, I don't know. I was going to say the Vancouver, the the guy who said Vancouver is better than we think, who you like to bring up in every conversation when we talk about Vancouver. Except you were actually very responsive. I don't think you ever ragged on him. I, I probably did. I think I, I said, sorry, dude, but Vancouver kind of sucks. And we'll talk about Vancouver in a second. Okay, let's go back to Shipachov. Okay, so I guess, yeah, my question is, who is this guy? Is he another Panarin or Radulov who will come in and make a big impact right away? Like, we don't even know any of his teammates yet, which makes it kind of hard to really analyze his fantasy value. But I'd be curious, though, like, you, we talked about Vegas last episode, and you were saying it's pretty unlikely that they're going to have a leading scorer over 60 points if you look at other expansion teams that have come in over the past, like, 20 years. But it's been a long time so maybe you know the climate has changed there's a salary cap now i don't know you know like maybe there'll be better players available we'll see but yeah at this point would you guess knowing the types of players that will be available is shipachov likely going to be the top scorer on vegas or among the top scorers and in that case could you see him as like a 60 point guy and someone that at least if you're in a keeper league and you still have access to pick players up should people be rushing to grab him right now yeah, in a Kiever League, absolutely. If you can already start making moves, uh, Shibatov is somebody you should be going after. Uh, he was an elite playmaking centerman in the KHL. Now, remember, he's already 30 years old, so you know, there's going to be an age thing happening. Like, he's not going to be some young, upstart, up-and-comer. And he was actually rumored to cross the pond the season before this one. And uh, he finally made the jump to Vegas now, who made a, a very clever little move here. He has the potential to provide star power for Vegas that might not have been available to them in the expansion draft, save for maybe a couple goalie options, like if Mark andre Fleury was available. But it seems that what Vegas has done, bottom line, is they added the best player in the world, not currently in the NHL, which makes him better than several, several NHLers, maybe even half the NHL for sure. And you asked if he could be like the next Panarin, and that's the hope that he can come in and do something like that. Rumor has it, uh, last I saw, there was a report that Vegas was trying to sign his teammate, Evgeny Dadanov, as well. And that could be helpful uh, in the KHL. A lot of focus, or at least this is what I've read, is on three-man units working together through the season. Like, they're really solid. There's not a lot of line mixing and matching. And if you've got your top line of three players performing very well together, they, they are working as a unit. So maybe if Dadanov ends up with Vegas, this is all speculation, of course, uh, that built-in stability and chemistry could go a long way in helping Shibachev put up some higher-end fantasy numbers. And by the way, just to clarify, like you mentioned how we were looking at expansion teams 20 years ago to see where their top scorers 
finished in the point settings. Like that was a long time ago. We haven't had a new team enter the league since the lockout and the game has changed a lot since then. So I wasn't trying, that, that was more like a for fun exercise, but Hey, if there's a Vegas golden Knight who can hit 60 points, I don't know that there's going to be a better bet after the expansion draft than Shibachov. This will be fun to watch. I'm very excited to see, obviously, who their goalie will be. We talked about it on the last episode that maybe it could be future Stanley Cup winner. Well, and past Stanley Cup winner, Marc-Andre Fleury. So who knows? They could have some star power on this team. Could be a fun team. Like, who knows? Maybe they won't be the worst team in the league. Maybe the worst team in the league will be the New Jersey Devils, but maybe not because now they got the first pick in the draft. How do you like that segue, Brian? So that's, I guess, the next piece of news, talking about more players that I haven't really heard of. So it seems like the top prospects, and by the way, before we get into this, I'll say we plan on having a prospects episode soon to actually give you more details about these guys, but you're seeing names like Nico Hishier or Nolan Patrick as likely being one of the players that New Jersey is going to take with their top overall pick after having won the lottery i'm curious to know brian if you could give me anything in terms of what we can expect from this top player now that we know that he's going to go to new jersey like we've been seeing some top players drafted doing really well in the nhl like Connor mcdavid and austin matthews have obviously set a standard that's going to be very difficult to match and i don't think anyone's expecting that from his year or nolan patrick and i'd imagine being on new jersey makes it a little harder though they do get to play with taylor hall if you know if they make it to the top line if they play in the nhl next year like i really don't know much about these guys what do you think do you have any general thoughts about new jersey getting this top pick and what you can expect from the top pick this year compared to like some of the other guys who have been first overall picks in the past few years yeah well you say he's gonna play for the new jersey devils the toronto maple leafs did not seem like a place where you could put up a ton of offense until the start of this season although you could see the pieces coming together for austin matthews to have a great season though we admittedly did not see coming what he was able to achieve Uh, buffalo wasn't really necessarily a great place to put up points for eichel either but he still got close to 60 that said, uh, like you implied, Elon, uh, these two top picks in this year's draft don't really touch those levels of your Eichel, your Matthews, and of course your McDavid. Uh, but that's not to knock them. Like they are the clear front runners. There's no question as to who deserves to go first and second, one, two in the 2017 entry draft. And hopefully they'll offer the Devils and Flyers some legit help before too long. The good news for anyone drafted by New Jersey is that there's plenty of room for them to fit into the top six if the team decides they're ready for it. So there will be a role almost immediately, even if they might not be one of those guys who's a no-doubter for a top six role because of their pedigree. These guys are just going to have an open lineup, essentially, to step into. So right in the chat room, Ryan is saying he's picking Taylor Hall next year after figuring out that New Jersey is going to be getting this top pick. I guess that makes sense, right? If you're down on Taylor Hall, if you have him in a keeper league or if you're eyeing him, obviously he didn't have such a great year this year compared to the numbers he put up for Edmonton the year before. And probably a lot of that is due to the fact that he doesn't have really great players to play with. This will be one more great player to play with. Maybe not next year in terms of someone who could really elevate Taylor Hall. But you'd imagine one of these guys is going to play with him and make him or bring him back or give him the ability to get back to being the 70 point guy that I know you still think he can be. Yeah, and don't make it seem like he wasn't that far off his Edmonton pace. He had a 60 point full season pace compared to 65 points in his last full season in Edmonton. And yeah, of course, I think he's capable of more, um, maybe a little more pointed power play would help him, even though he's never really been able to rely on a ton of power play points in the past. But uh, of course, another 
quality piece in the top six. Not to say that that's what one of these guys can be right off the top, but uh, yeah, certainly helps. And Pavel Zaka will be another year older, which I think is maybe the more realistic scenario to hope for in, in, in thinking that Taylor Hall's going to have a little more help with Devil's depth in the top six. Yeah. Kyle Palmieri's still there. I don't know. Maybe this could be good. We'll, we'll get into Devil's Talk later. But anyways, interesting to see. It'll be fun to see how things shake out at the draft. I always love the draft day also because that's when some fun trades happen. But okay, let's go to another signing. How about the Leafs signing Nikita Zaitsev to a seven-year contract? So I'm interested to know what you think about this. He's a guy who we talked about so much going into the season. I was really wringing my hands about which defenseman I wanted to go with if I wanted to go with a rookie defenseman between Zaitsev, Provorov, and Zach Wierenski. I ended up going with Wierenski in the couple. Not that it helped me very much. I didn't win, but whatever. I was happy with that choice. Zaitsev went in and out of free agency all throughout the year, but he had a pretty decent rookie season. You know, he had 36 points in 82 games, which is not bad for a defenseman. I feel like he probably has upside for more in the coming years as the Leafs have all this young talent that's going to get better and better. I wonder if even next year, could we see him being like a 40-point defenseman? I'm curious to know, Brian, what do you think about Zaitsev long-term for people in a keeper league? Or, you know, I think he's going to be worthy of drafting, at least, in most formats next year. You see him as a guy who, like, is probably going to hover around 35, 40 points for the rest of his time in this contract with the Leafs? Or do you think he has the potential to be closer to, like, a 50-point defenseman like Zach Wierenski was and that a lot of people think, like, Provorov can be? Yeah, I think if, if that's what you think, it, we're very far apart on this one. There has been lots of debate over whether the contract was worthwhile to give him this much money for this much time. You're tying yourself up for, you know, some while and maybe you hope the cap rises. But as we know with the David Clarkson contract, that's not a reason to sign a player for more than they're worth. It really does seem like a lot of cash and a lot of term for what Zaitsev has offered defensively today, which hasn't been enough to even solidify him as a top four NHL defender. It's like a fringe top four, more likely bottom pairing guy. He does get that power play time, which is nice. And that helped had his point totals this year, but that's more due to him being right-handed than him having any significant power play skills that the Leafs really are trying to take advantage of. The Leafs have no other righty options on the blue line at the moment, unless you're expecting Connor Carrick, to leapfrog Zaitsev on the depth chart, which uh, I'm not sure you want to set your watch to that. But if the Leafs, like the danger for Zaitsev is the Leafs go out, or at least, sorry, the danger for Zaitsev fantasy-wise is the Leafs go out, they get a top two or even an established top four righty on the blue line. And that's reason to knock some, if not most, of Zaitsev's 13 power play points out of next year's projections, which means that he'd only be safe for 30 to 35 points. That's if they sign another player. If they don't sign another player and he still is the de facto best right-handed defenseman to play on their power play, then I think you can really hope for 35 as a floor and then 40 would be wonderful. But I don't think he's an offensive gem waiting to break out. I don't think he's a defensive gem waiting to break out. It'll be interesting to see if he can live up to this contract. And if you're counting on him for production, you're really watching to see if the Leafs acquire another right-handed defenseman. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it'll be interesting to see if you end up eating your words on this. Like He had a bit of hype coming out of the KHL and joining the Leafs for this year. Maybe that was because, like you're saying, there wasn't as much competition and maybe that'll change. Is it possible? I don't know the Leafs cap situation. Could they go after someone like a Shattenkirk for next year and get like that solid top power play defenseman? I believe he shoots right if what I'm seeing on fan tracks is correct. Is that something that anyone's been talking about? I haven't really heard any Shattenkirk rumors that this point i've just been hearing a lot of like people crapping on shattenkirk for not being good defensively whenever washington gets killed by pittsburgh don't you think also by the way side note 
Pittsburgh has been uh, blowing out Washington in a few games, or at least scoring a lot of goals on them. And I feel like people are being hard on like Holtby and Shattenkirk and all these guys. I mean, they're playing Pittsburgh. Give them a break, right? Well, yeah, but you're also on a team that had more points in the regular season than Pittsburgh. So, and, and Holby certainly has not been his best self, even like you look at his numbers historically against Pittsburgh uh, in their previous series. And he's just not playing up to snuff, but that's not what you're asking me right now. You're asking me what, if Kevin Shattenkirk ends up on Toronto, like he is a right-handed shooter demon. And yes, that would significantly hurt Nikita Zaitsev fantasy value. Yeah, I guess I've just been wondering a lot about Shattenkirk. I feel like he's the kind of guy that's so valuable in fantasy because he gets all of those power play points. So as an unrestricted free agent, that's definitely someone I'll be watching throughout the offseason. Okay, uh, one more piece of news before we get to more of just talking about some of the players that are doing things in the playoffs. Can we have anything to say at all about the Canucks hiring Travis Green as their coach? There you go, Canucks fan who follows us on Twitter and wants us to say things about the Canucks, who, by the way, probably isn't listening, right? I I assume the majority of people who normally listen aren't listening because it's May 1st. But for those of you who are listening, you are the super fans, and you're the people who are going to win your fantasy leagues. I guarantee it. Or maybe I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Or or what? (laughs) Anyway, so Vancouver. Or, or, Or you get this podcast free. You can have this podcast for free, unlimited listens. How about that? (laughs) So, okay, uh, we already talked about the Canucks briefly last episode when they announced that they had fired their coach, and we were talking a little bit about what do we think is going to happen, how is this going to affect some of their guys, like Horvat, the Sedins, like Erickson. You were saying something about how Erickson was in the doghouse last year, just like Redding Verbata was in the doghouse the year before, and maybe a new coach could unlock the potential of some of these right wingers so do you see travis green do you know anything about him is he the kind of guy that even can unlock some more potential out of louis erickson for next year or do you have any other general thoughts about how this signing can affect anyone on the canucks fantasy wise i don't know that he'll be the one to activate louis erickson's true potential but at least it's a fresh start for louis erickson or at least it should be travis green seems someone who has been rumored to be a top candidate for NHL head coaching jobs, including Vancouver's, just uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it's been happening for several years now. I'm not sure what to expect from him as a head coach, but I do think any change has to be good news for Louis Erickson, just because, yeah, there's going to be a reset. He's going to have to reprove himself with whatever early opportunities he's offered, but I believe he's still capable of doing that. And that's really the most obvious impact I can see from here. I don't see anyone else on the roster needing a reset. Perhaps it's bad news for Brandon Sutter, who really was the gem of, uh, well, actually, it's still the current front office. So I'm very curious to see how he's deployed next season, if he's still considered to be a franchise cornerstone centerman. Uh, But yeah, Louis Erickson is as far as I'm willing to go for Travis Green. And hopefully the whole lineup sees a little bit of a bump, like a five-point bump in all their totals with a more, hopefully, competent coach we'll see just how far travis green can go with most of the front office of vancouver still intact they certainly deserve their share of the blame for how things went with willie desjardins at the helm yeah it seems like what coach could have led this team into the playoffs and sorry okay i know people hate it or that one guy at least hates it when we crap on the canucks brian i feel like maybe i missed something when talking about how new jersey got the first overall pick i see people in the chat room here talking about philly i should mention philadelphia is gonna get the second overall pick and you were just saying how it's like his year and patrick and we don't know who will go first or second and they're both really good so that means philly is gonna get one of these guys i think that could also be interesting and maybe that goes to 
an argument that maybe Travis Konechny could get hurt if he like gets bumped down the depth chart by one of these guys. I don't know why I'm just bringing up Travis Konechny. Like, I guess Nolan Patrick is a center and, you know, you see Giroux and Couturier as normally the top two centers on the team. So it'll be interesting to see the impact of Philly's pick that they get in the draft and how that will affect the fantasy prospects of a bunch of players on the team. Yeah, absolutely. I, you never consulted me on that initial question between Konechny and Fabry. Like, Konechny is the top left wing only, like the top natural left wing on the Flyers' depth chart right now. I mean, Shannon Simmons have played the position before and Voracek. Uh, and you know I had my thoughts towards the end of the season about whether Giroux and Voracek can both be back next year or if the Flyers are really willing to work through that or if they're like, nope, time for a rebuild. Uh, so... Where I'm going with that is, I guess, to say that Konechny could see opportunity. And Elon, remember Fabry last year? It was frustrating. Like, no St. Louis Blues could really produce unless they were playing with Tarasenko. So it wasn't really important to be in their top six. It was important to be in their top three. Now, I feel like that can change next year now that Mike Yo is in charge. And whatever they were trying with Ken Hitchcock is now just uh, scraps on the cutting room floor. So I still have a little more faith in Fabry over Konechny. And uh, so I'm answering the question you asked about 40 minutes ago. Okay, I didn't uh, consult you because I knew you'd agree with me. So it was easy. And by the way, I guess since we're talking about St. Louis, great job by them in the playoffs. Got a lot farther than I know you thought they would. And I'm especially excited about Jaden Schwartz for next year. I'm very curious to see if he's going to still be a sleeper. As you know, we were both saying that we think he could be next year because he sort of had a lot of slow stretches this year. He had a really good playoff. So maybe that evaporates, but he's definitely someone I'd have my eyes on next year. Definitely the second Blues player I'd want to take after Tarasenko, uh, unless maybe Pitt Rangelo and obviously Jake Allen. But okay, the second forward I would want on St. Louis for sure. And with that, Brian, I guess I'm good to get into these playoff series. Maybe we could talk about a little bit about what we're seeing and which players are impressing us, which players are disappointing us, and if we think there's going to be any impact for next season. I know in general, though, before we get into that, like you think... And I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, we're not going to put too much stock into playoff performances. You know, we have to have something to talk about on a May 7th episode. But I'm assuming your general advice throughout all of this will be don't buy in too much. If anything, it's like if a player does really well in the playoffs and it raises his stock in fantasy, you should be the smart one to know to not let it raise his stock in your eyes and let other people overrate a player because of a good playoff performance, right? Yeah, this is the usual caveat that we offer before talking about playoff performances. but you've actually already listed some good ones that we're going to get into that do touch on players that we were surprised to see what they did in the regular season or have reason to be reevaluating and thinking hard about what they can do next year. So why don't you go through some of the hotter players in the NHL playoffs? Okay, so I started the show yelling his name, Ryan Getzlaff, having an amazing playoffs. And again, I wrote this before today. As of now, it is six to one for Edmonton over Anaheim. So Edmonton is just destroying the Ducks. By the way, Brian, fearless prediction. And I'm putting myself out here because this will be recorded live for everyone to hear and they'll know right away if I'm smart or dumb. I think Anaheim's going to win game seven. How about that? I feel like whenever you see one of these big blowouts, the other team comes out really strong, especially at home for game seven. I wouldn't get overconfident as an Oilers fan. Anyway, for what it's worth, Ricard Raquel just scored a goal to make it 6-1, by the way. And we'll talk about him in a second, but we have to talk about Ryan Getzlaff. I feel like we talked about him this season, but mostly in the context of, oh yeah, you should grab Raquel because he's playing with Getzlaff. You should grab Patrick Eves because he's playing with Getzlaff. But I don't know if we really focused on how good of a year he had. He had 73 points in 74 games. 
So basically a point per game guy, which is an amazing season that would put him in like the top five, I think of players. If we, you know, just looked at season point pace and he's having a great playoffs. Also eight points in his last three games before today, 15 in nine playoff games overall before today, he's basically number two behind Malkin who's also having an insane playoffs in scoring right now. He's still not ranked in our patron rankings. So just to make sure everyone who's listening knows what I'm talking about every day on our patron only Facebook group, the amazing Dave Benton from the Stream Scheme podcast, which has had, I think, two or three really good episodes before it went into hiatus. Anyways, he has made a post saying, who do you guys want to rank next in our patron rankings? And then people vote on players. Then whoever gets the most votes, that player gets ranked. And then the next day, everyone's votes carry over. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of really good debates. I feel like half of the posts are like, how did this guy get ranked above this guy? And I think one of the clear questions is, how did this guy, and you can name any of the guys, I'll name some of them for you in a second, Brian, like, how can this guy be above Ryan Getz? left who isn't even ranked yet when he was like a point per game guy last year so my question to you is like how viable is gets off next year here are the centers ranked ahead of him so far in our patron rankings i'm gonna say centers just because there's some players who have winger eligibility which make them more valuable in fantasy just because of value over replacement just to compare apples to apples we've got mcdavid crosby malkin matthews sagan eichel stamkos Tavares, and shifley all ranked all centers and Getzlaff still not ranked. I think he'll get in today or tomorrow, probably. I feel like maybe Getzlaff is being underrated, like especially when you look at the bottom couple guys on the list, like especially like Mark Shifley. Like, are you really taking Shifley over Getzlaff? I mean, Shifley also was like a point per game guy. It's tough. There's so many good centers out there right now. Curious to know what you think about Getzlaff. I guess his one drawback. He doesn't take too many shots on goal. He had 138 last year, which was less than two per game. I guess that's a good reason maybe not to rank him as high as those other guys. It's hard to say if Getzlaff is being underrated himself or if those other guys you've mentioned who the patrons have ranked ahead of him are being overrated. One of these things is not like the other, right? There's a clear difference between him and choices like Matthews, Eichel, and Shifley, and that's in age. He's got at least eight years on each of them. He turns 32 this Wednesday, so happy early birthday to Ryan Getzlaff. And as he gets older, it's obviously harder and harder for him to maintain and repeat point-per-game performances. We had a lot of uh, nervous moments about him over uh, like a year ago at this time. He had really slipped. He had one of the worst seasons of his career. And then he very quietly bounced back, uh, and he rebounded to what was really important for him, which is the higher than average on ice shooting percentage that he often has, uh, which is thanks in part to Corey Perry's high shooting percentage, or at least it was in previous seasons. Like Getzlaff is a guy, usually you're looking at about somewhere in the 8%, maybe low 9% range, but Getzlaff has consistently had an on ice shooting percentage above 10% in his career. And that is because of Corey Perry's high conversion rates. And Ryan Getzlaff really lucked out this year, uh, lucked out quote unquote, uh, not to mean that he was totally lucky about it, but when Perry slipped and his shooting percentage was cut in half this year, Ricard Raquel helped out with a very high shooting conversion rate of his own to get that on-ice shooting percentage back up again. I would still be cautious about Getzlaff going into next year. His rate stats are definitely in decline. In fact, like his, his shots on goal and his Fenwick, as you mentioned, Elon, they took a real big hit this year. Substantial, like more than you'd expect to happen year over year. And he's going to still have to be somewhat reliant on either Corey Perry, which is less likely than Ricard Raquel, uh, to have either one of those guys shoot above 15%. But if you want to mark him down as a 70-point player in an 82-game season, I think I'm safe with that. And yeah, that does put him right around where we have the most excited 
projections of Shifley, Eichel, and Matthews coming in. Although Matthews, I think his projections are even higher than that at point per game in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to love Matthews after the season and then playoffs he had. And, you know, we didn't actually ever look back on our patron rankings from last year in terms of which ones were right and which ones were wrong. That would be maybe a fun project. We got to get Dave on a show, right? And like maybe we could go through them as an off-season show and talk about that. Who were the players who most impressed us and disappointed us? Okay, but sticking with some of these Anaheim players, and I guess, you know, in hindsight, maybe I should be talking about Edmonton first, because that's kind of rude, giving the highlight to the team that's getting destroyed today. But I wanted to mention Silverberg and Raquel, who are also both having great playoffs. We've already talked about Raquel before. I feel like I talk about Raquel every week. So let's focus on Silverberg, right? 11 points in nine playoff games before today. Raquel has nine points in nine games. Silverberg has been playing on line two with Kessler and Cogliano, like he always does. But he's been on the top power play with Perry, Kessler, Getzlaff, and Fowler. And so, side note, Shea Theodore was indeed bumped once the defenseman came back. Fowler. And I think Vatnin was also getting some power play time, which I'm verifying now to make sure. And actually today, for whatever it's worth in this game, is like totally crazy and out of reach. But I'm seeing Theodore and Vatnin on the top power play. So who knows? Maybe they're still shifting around. Anyways, back to Silverberg. Sorry, it's nice when Silverberg gets on the top power play. He's normally not there, but clearly he's able to produce. And I'd be curious to know who you like better for next year between Raquel and Silverberg. Raquel, I should mention, has been playing with Perry and Getzlaff during the playoffs. Who knows what that's worth, especially with how many line changes the Ducks tend to make throughout the season. Who do you like between those two for next year? Or do you have another player? Like I'm thinking in terms of the second best forward on Anaheim that you would want after Ryan Getzlaff. Is it between Silverberg and Raquel for you? And if it is, which of those two would you want? Well, the question is, do they retain Patrick Eves' services over the offseason? But actually, that's not really. I don't think that'll have much impact. Or Ryan Kessler, Elon, also certainly can make a case for himself. And and Corey Perry's still there, of course. Yeah, actually, I was ready to leave him out because as as we talked about last season, remember we were talking about how Perry and Getzlaff both fell off and that you can count on Getzlaff a little more to be able to continue or or to have a shot at bouncing back while Perry, uh, this is sort of how things go for a player of his ilk. So I don't know where, I don't know if he'd be the second duck I'd choose or if he'd even be in the conversation. Uh, Silverberg, we should take a moment to mention, you mentioned like how well he's doing in the playoffs this year. He's been a point per game player in the postseason over the last three years. He has 34 points in his last 32 games played in the postseason, uh, not including the one happening right now. Uh, And he's making a name for himself as a key playoff contributor, someone who seems to be coming up in the clutch. With that said, I still prefer Ricard Raquel. I think he's got the higher upside, though in some formats, big shot totals from Silverberg could be considered enough to offset what you hope the upside will be from Raquel. Yeah, I mean, you know me. I like Raquel. I'm excited about him. Silverberg seems like a solid guy that we're going to expect 50 points from maybe for the next few seasons that maybe he has a higher floor. But I think Raquel has a pretty high floor himself. It'll He'll probably be overrated going to next year's drafts. I don't know if I'm going to reach for him necessarily. And we'll get into draft strategy and when it's worth it to reach and when it isn't later on in the summer series. I guess also we might still have a few more games from Anaheim to see. We'll have to see if they make it to the next round. And in a couple of weeks, we'll see if we're talking about them again. Okay, over to Edmonton now. We have have to talk about Leon Dreisaitl, who has now scored a hat trick today, and Edmonton's up seven to one. And I was going to go into talking about him anyways because before this, he was already on a three-game point streak and had eleven points in eleven games so far in the playoffs. So definitely that gets increased by a lot. So what he has three goals today and any assists? Yeah, two assists, so five points. So Dreisaitl's like shooting up the overall playoff rankings. I'll, it'll be fun to see where he ranks after this game. 
But yeah, this is all after he had an amazing season, right? He had 77-point season. He went 21st in our patron rankings overall. I'm curious to know, Brian, would you have taken him there? Or are you still, like, reluctant to bank on him as, like, a for-sure 70-point guy? Like, I feel like the people who are ranking him 21st overall, they're thinking, like, 70-point floor with upside for point-per-gamer, upside for at least, you know, the 77 points that he had this season. Would you draft him that high? I feel like I know Ryan in the chat room is all excited. I don't know why he's so obsessed with Leon Dreisaitl. He keeps on mocking me for having said at the beginning of the season that I like Panarin better than him. I had to pick someone. They're both good. And Anyway, Leon Dreisaitl, at this point, Brian, like, where do you see him? I know we already talked about him recently. Is this playoff performance changing anything for you? Do you think that 21st overall in the patron rankings is a fair ranking for him? It seems fair. I think what this comes down to is his eligibility going into next year. That's really important to me. And by eligibility, I mean his role, like, as a 70-plus point dual-eligible center right wing playing with Connor McDavid. Yes, please. 21st, go for it. Uh, But as a second line center exclusive, who's going to have to battle for 60 points, not playing with McDavid, obviously I would have him a little lower. And these are the things we can't really suss out while the playoffs are still happening. And there's been no off season to understand what direction the Oilers might be going. Uh, But yeah, the best case scenario of Dreisaitl being that 70 plus point center with dual eligibility, that certainly seems worth drafting. And his draft stock is going to be really interesting to monitor to see if his hype is still full-blown by the time September rolls around. If it is, I'm guessing there's going to be other people ready to take him sooner than I'd be ready to take him myself. Not to say he doesn't deserve a high projection or a high ranking, but just if it's overblown to the point that you're taking him over other guys who have been a point per game more reliably over the course of their careers, then that's where we've gone too far with dry saddle. So of course his value is at an all-time high now. I'm not even going to say sell high in a dynasty, although like there is that concern that he plays a different role next season and that will certainly hurt his point total. So a lot to see in the offseason for now. If I'm going to give him that best case scenario billing, I'm okay with him at 21st. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it depends who we're comparing him to. Like players ranked directly after him. We're up to 27 right now. Joe Pavelski got ranked today. And so you're seeing names like Marshawn, Godro, Panarin, Wheeler. So uh, I guess our patrons think that Dreisaitl's better than all of these guys. It sounds to me like you're saying that maybe you wouldn't put him there. Like Johnny Gaudreau, it's hard to take Dreisaitl over Gaudreau for me. But I mean, we're seeing what he's doing in the playoffs. We saw what he did all last year. I guess we got to get on board. He's amazing. We're already on board. We don't have to get on board. We're there. Okay, we're there. All right, so let's stay on the train. How about a, a maybe a more controversial player in terms of if he'll get drafted? This is a guy that I've never seen drafted in any of my pools ever, but I wonder if Pat Maroon has started to like cement himself as someone who needs to be drafted in most leagues next year. I'm not saying as like a top guy, but you know, someone who at least gets picked and isn't just a free agent for most of the year, especially if your league counts hits. He's having a good playoffs again, seven points in 11 games. I think he has an assist today. Seems like he's with McDavid like all the time. I think throughout the playoffs, he's been playing with Connor McDavid. He only had 42 points last year overall, but you know, Brian, I don't know about this. I don't know if you had time to research this, but like, I feel like he was probably closer to a 50 plus point guy when he was playing with Connor McDavid. Like there was that long stretch when Maroon wasn't on that line and then he wasn't doing anything. But with McDavid, he seemed to be getting points pretty often. I don't know. I just feel like Pat Maroon, he's such a up and down guy. And like, you know, another guy on the other side, like Milan Lucic has been doing nothing so far. And maybe that's not included today. Like today's stats are going to like throw everything out the window and make a lot of Oilers look better than they have been in their overall points. Yeah, Lucic has two assists today. But before today, he only had four points in 11 playoff games. He's someone who was drafted in pretty much 
all leagues last year. Of course, he gets a lot of hits, but even in leagues without hits, like like a couple, he was drafted. People thought he'd be playing with Connor McDavid, of course, but he had 50 points overall on the season, but that was buoyed by an amazing final run of seven points in his last five games. Before that, he was only on like a 46-point pace, which is kind of close to Pat Maroon. I'm curious to know, like, would you draft either of these guys? And if yes, like which one? I don't know. It's, it's hard not to want to get the guy playing with Connor McDavid if we're seeing all throughout the playoffs that Edmonton likes to put these two guys together. I'm going to go with a similar answer to how I went on Drysdale, and that's too early to make these calls. Like the Oilers, if they get knocked out of the playoffs, then they're going to say, okay, well, what can we do better for next year? What needs to change? And that could change the whole makeup of their top six or top nine, um, on which Patrick Maroon relies Heavily, his points per 60 numbers were markedly better when playing with McDavid than without, and that's to be expected. And we actually lauded him before in the season as one of the few Oilers who could play well away from McDavid and still keep puck possession moving in the right direction. If I had to choose between him and Lucic, again, it's too early. I just don't know who's going to be playing with who. This is the sort of thing where you're watching daily updates leading up to your draft. Uh, They both offer similar things, and I think the one who scores more points will be the one who plays with Connor McDavid. If I have to choose the player I like more, uh, I was going to say Maroon, but I think Lucic probably is more offensively capable if given the opportunity. Eh, I don't know kind of over Lucic after a 50-point season where he also just had that amazing end. And, you know, he was pretty good at the beginning, or at least he had the opportunity to be good when he was playing with McDavid and only four points, 11 playoff games. I don't know. I guess whatever. Maybe you don't take either of them. It would be hard for me, especially in a league that doesn't count hits, to take Milan Lucic anywhere except for like my last pick overall. And even then I might go for someone with more upside. Uh, Let's go on to another series. Let's talk about St. Louis versus Nashville, who they're done now. Nashville won today. Good for them. Brian, you sent me an article from the score of the top five underrated defensemen in the playoffs, which is good. Maybe you could link to that in our show notes. Uh, One of the names that jumped out to me was Joel Edmondson on St. Louis. I'm not sure if I would have been able to tell you what team Joel Edmondson was on if you just asked me randomly. He quietly put up six points in 10 games before today. I guess I could go and see what he did. So Nashville won three to one. And the only St. Louis goal was from Stasny from Tarasenko and Schwartz. Okay, nothing from Joel Edmondson, but... He did get a plus one, so he was on the ice for the one goal, and he had three blocks, and he played like 22 minutes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He got 49 minutes of power play time. So out of nowhere, he looked like he was one of the highly used defensemen on St. Louis. Like I said, six points in 10 games. That's pretty good for a defenseman. Make that six points in 11 games, sure. Plus 11 in the playoffs. I know plus minus isn't a great stat, but it's nice to know he's on the ice for all these goals, playing over 20 minutes a game. He was getting second unit power play time with Pareko over the last couple of games. Like, who is Joel Edmondson? Is he the type of guy that I should be thinking about going to next year's draft? You know, if you're in a deepish league and you want to grab your last defense with someone who might have upside to do something for you, or is this just like a grinder that you'd never consider drafting? You just happen to have a good playoffs. It's the latter. He's not somebody that you want to go out and grab. Remember, he's still got Petrangelo and Pareko ahead of him on the depth chart. Who is he though? He's a second round pick from 2011. He's 23 years old. He broke into the league. Uh, about the same time Colton Pareko did last season and very much in Pareko's shadow. But he earned a lot of defensive responsibility at the outset. And then he was in and out of the lineup for like Robert Bertuzzo at some point for whatever reason. And this year he has emerged as a top four defenseman who can be relied upon to play some heavy minute nights, like 20 plus minutes, and take on some difficult assignments every now and again. 
So great if your pool somehow has a measurement for defensive ability, but not so much if you are relying on him to produce for you. Okay, well, just wanted to throw his name out there. If the score threw it out there, then I thought I might as well as well. Okay, also on that list is Ryan Ellis, who is somehow going into today at least leading Nashville in scoring. He had nine points in nine games going into today. I don't know if that's still less, but yeah, he's been having a great playoffs. And to go along with his nine points in nine games, he had like 30 blocks and 21 shots. So helping in a lot of categories, he actually had a pretty solid regular season as well. Kind of quiet, you know, like not like Getzlaff, you know, not as good as Getzlaff, who I said had a quietly productive season. But uh, Ryan Ellis like was pretty good. He had 38 points in 71 games, which is a 44 point pace, which is really good for a defenseman. It's a lot better than Zaitsev, who I brought up as someone that we might be excited for for next year. Maybe I'll have to ask you Zaitsev versus Ryan Ellis. Anyway, do you think he could do it again next year? Like, is he a 44, 45 point guy? Like, I feel like it's hard to rely on a defenseman who seems so obviously to be at best the third on his team's defenseman depth chart like you know obviously behind Subban and Roman Yosi. so I guess my question to you is number one like what can you expect from Ryan Ellis next year is he going to be at least a 45 point defenseman which seems really high for me and also how about this is he the best number three defenseman in fantasy right now like in terms of a team's number three defenseman well to answer that question to the best of my ability Elon maybe we'll do this over the summer we'll pull out the depth charts and see but off the top of my head One depth chart that might have a third best defenseman comparable to Ryan Ellis off the top of my head would be in Calgary with whoever you'd put there in Brody probably would be the guy. But uh, yeah, he's probably one of the better third guys. We'd have to pull out a bunch of depth charts to have a look if we really wanted to dig into that. Ryan Ellis made a good name for himself this year as somebody who could come close to 40 points. Uh, He would surpass it if he played all 82 games this year. But also for the last three years, he's steadily put up about two shots per game, which is a helpful thing for a fantasy defenseman who has 35, 40 point upside. Question is, does he have more? The thing that makes me think that he's not a 45 point defenseman, even if that's what his point total said this year, is that his shooting percentage personally was 12% this year at even strength. And on the power play, it was at 10%, which is still a little high as well. Like a really good power play blue line score might be able to get close to that number, but I'm just not sure... He's there yet. He had 16 goals this year. You can probably chop a few off for next year. And then can he make up for those lost points with assists? Absolutely. If he takes on a bigger role and sees even a little more uptick in his power play time. But until he really actually sees that in hard numbers, I'm not ready to say that he's a sure shot for 45, but a good bet for 35-40 with a couple shots per game. Yeah, and especially if he's also going to give you blocks, like it's a pretty solid depth guy. I think he should be drafted in most formats, especially those bangers and mash leagues. Okay, Brian, you know me. I'm a nerd. Of course, I have some teams ready to throw out at you that might have a better third defenseman. And I'd be curious to know if you think Ryan Ellis beats any of those guys. Okay, how about Winnipeg? Well, Winnipeg would be like a long shot because I think we were kind of excited about Josh Morrissey by the end of the season behind Truba and Bufflin. So maybe that's not a good one. How about Toronto? You know, now that they have Zaitsev, they have Morgan Riley and they have Jake Gardner. So I don't know which one you'd even call the third defenseman, but I feel like Riley and Gardner are guys and Zaitsev. They're all guys who have been on fantasy rosters at least. I don't know. I think I'd rather have Ryan Ellis over one of them. How about Minnesota with Spurgeon, Suter, and Matt Dumba? So either Dumba or Spurgeon are both pretty decent third defensemen. LA, Alec Martinez made a bit of a impact throughout the year he was owned most of the time you're getting so annoyed at me for yeah this. like this is so i we can like be ready to talk about this sometime instead of just quickly flipping through depth charts 
Hey, I'm not quickly flipping through depth charts here. I had the list in front of me. So oh, sorry. I, yeah, well, I don't agree is what I'm trying to say. I, I feel like you're 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 grasping here. And uh, I don't know if you would you call Brady Shea the third defenseman on the Rangers? Maybe I'd like him. But that's well, just because their depth chart is all messed up. I mean, I almost feel like Brady Shea might be number two at this point. Like in terms of fantasy, at least, who are you putting after Ryan McDonough and before Brady Shea? Like, I don't think Dan Girardi, unless you're only looking at blocks. No, I'm going to say Brady Shea doesn't count because he's the second best defenseman fantasy wise. And he's been having a pretty decent playoffs, at least from what I've seen. Or he had that one good game against Ottawa anyways. Okay. So whatever, you don't like my segment. So fine, we'll move on. If it's I were a great to, segment. I love your segment. If we were to say, we'll talk about it later, like 99% chance we're not going to talk about it later. We'll just leave people wanting. So at least I threw it out there. Now someone could tweet at us if they want us to go through the best third defenseman. Ooh, and then we could do like the best fourth forwards and we could do some weird series and just churn out content. That's how you come up with stuff to talk about all throughout the summer, I guess. Okay. Next, what do you have next? Next series. Okay, let's talk about Ottawa versus the Rangers. Uh, I guess we've got to mention J.P. Pajot, right? Who scored those four goals in game two versus the Rangers. And then he had another goal in game three. Nothing in the last two games, but you know, seven shots on goal in those games. He's been getting more ice time than usual. Watching the games, I'm seeing Pajot getting a lot of opportunities. This is a guy who only had around 16 minutes of ice time on average over the season. And he only had 33 points. Like This isn't an impact guy, but I feel like I recall before Pajot making an impact in the playoffs what is it with this guy? Is he like the Justin Williams on Ottawa at this point? A guy who just shows up in the playoffs when they need him for a clutch goal? Like also, but he's getting good deployment. Yesterday he was on the top power play with Stone and Turris and Burroughs and Carlson. I feel like this must be a mirage. I'd imagine as a Sens fan and you've been watching all throughout, I'd be very surprised if you're going to say that now you're going to consider drafting Pajot in your fantasy league for next year. But I feel like at the very least, I'm going to draft him for my playoff pool next year if the Sens make it. I guess you could. At one point, he had scored five or was it six consecutive goals for the Sens? And uh, they had a hard time scoring as a team that was starting from that huge comeback and then going into those two bad losses with the Rangers. He's looked very good. I was there in person to do to do the, the live eye test for game five. What a game that was to be at for Sens fans. Not the Ranger fan in front of me. Uh, sorry to that guy, sort of. But Pajot has looked very good. And what he looks like is a middle six player, a utility player who can slot into any various role. He can get some power play time. He can take on some penalty killing duties. He can take defensive faceoffs. He can take offensive faceoffs. He can do a little bit of everything. Does he excel incredibly at any of it? No, but he's like a jack of all trades kind of guy. And not someone you can expect a whole lot of offensive production from through the regular season and yeah maybe an outburst in the postseason if you want to go ahead and take that chance although I'm still not sure I personally would but yeah so I I don't don't know where to go with this because you already knew that I was going to not say anything special about Pajot except it's nice to recognize a player really playing a middle six role to a T. And one guy who, you know, we should be expecting to put up Pajot-like production, but hasn't really, Mark Stone. I'm curious if you have any concerns about him. He scored yesterday, but he only has four points in 11 playoff games so far. This is a guy who we probably would have picked as the top forward on Ottawa going into the season. And he had like an okay year. He had 54 points in 71 games, which is a 62-point pace. I remember there was a time when we thought of him as a surging star that could be like a 70-point guy. I wonder if 
like that's changing or maybe it was never that and i'm just saying that and that's like totally fake news but uh, 11 playoff games probably aren't going to change your mind about him he's been on a 60 to 65 point pace for each of the last three seasons now is there any reason to expect more or less from mark stone next year or is he in the kyle Turris category of solid solid bet for 60 points but don't expect more than 65 yeah that was some uh fake thing you made up we never thought of him as a rising star to get 70 we did like him as a guy who will find you 60 for sure with upside for 65 and nothing is changing in my projection for him going into next season he had a good season this year has been a little concerning that he has not been so offensively active in the postseason for the Sens this year in fact if you watch the games they've played and of course I've seen a little bit more of them than the rest of the league he hasn't even been all that noticeable he's had a couple big moments but the other team's been very effective. He's one of the forwards that they key in on the most, and they've done so effectively. Uh, so I'm not going to hold this playoff performance against him. I still like him for 60, 65 next season. I mean, I don't know. I'd like to go back. I don't know. I guess I'm never going to do this, but I'd love if one of our listeners could go back and find a time when Brian was especially high on Mark Stone. I think you were. At one point, I was. Or maybe it was just me. Okay. Anyways, over on the Rangers, uh, they've been scoring by committee, kind of like they did just for most of the seasons. Abanajad leading the way with seven points in 10 games. Like, they're leading scorers this season. I don't know if we ever actually went down the list. I know all throughout the season, we were talking about, oh, all these players on the Rangers are scoring. Oh, like, all the lines are producing. In the end, their leaders were Zuccarello with 59 points miller 56 stepan 55 Kreider, and then like hayes mcdonough grabner shea rick nash and then like uh zibanejad actually was way down there but that's because he was injured he was on a 54 point pace overall i'd be curious O'Brien, who's the first ranger you would draft next year like if you want a ranger i don't even know if it's for sure like i guess zuccarello led the team in points last year and He's doing like okay in the playoffs. Is there anyone else? Like, I feel like Rick Nash falls way down. I feel like you'll be able to get him really late in your draft. I wonder if you would do that. But overall, it just seems like a team that spreads the offense around, kind of like Minnesota seemed like before. You know, it's just a team where can you really expect anyone to get over 60 points? You can hope that Matt Zuccarello can get there. Derek Stepan also has an outside shot, but that's about it. Uh, so, Matt Zuccarello, I guess I tip my hand there. He is the one I would want the most without a doubt. Then Derek Stepan. Then I'd be interested to see uh, what Mika Zibanejad can do. He's looked amazing when he's played with Matt Zuccarello. And even without Matt Zuccarello this postseason, if they play the regular season together, I'd be really interested to see how high Zibanejad can get. If he can get close to touching 60, I have him as like a 50-55 guy. But if I know he's going to be tethered to Zuccarello for a whole season, I could bump him up to 55-60. And then, yeah, the question is, how many guys do you take before Rick Nash at that point. So we have Zuccarello, we have Stepan. I'm going to say Zabanejad. I'm going to say Kreider. And then I think I go Nash right around the time that you might go JT Miller or Kevin Hayes. Yeah, I don't know. I might even go with like a guy like Kreider over Stepan, but that may be more to do with position eligibility. Mark is saying in the chat room here, 27 goals means nothing, I guess. So yeah, like Chris Kreider, yeah. And by the way, he had 53 points, but that was in 75 games. So if you take his pace, oh, by the way, he's correcting it, 28 goals. Apologies. But Mark, I'm quoting you here. Give me, give me the right numbers. Okay. But yeah, Kreider overall had like a 58-point pace, which puts him right along with Zuccarello to lead the team in points. So yeah, it's just interesting to see a team like this. It's always hard to project who's going to be their leading scorers, but it's also nice to know that if you take one of these guys, they seem like a solid bet to get like at least 50. Yeah, I'll correct myself, and I will put Kreider ahead of Zabanejad, but I think I'd still keep him about the same as Stepan. 
And also, yeah, now let me take back. I, feel like I gotta be careful what I say here. I, I, I love the people who are here in the chat room. I just want to say thank you so much for your contributions. And Marcus saying now 27 was off the top of his head. That's pretty good. It's off the top of your head. I don't think I would have been able to say how many goals Chris Kreider got off the top of my head. That'll be a fun game, actually. Throw me a, a player in the chat room here, and I'll try to guess how many goals he had off the top of my head. But okay, I'm going to go into the last series for us to talk about. So Washington's been playing Pittsburgh. We thought it was going to be a really exciting series. It looked like Pittsburgh was going to run away with it, but Washington has had a couple wins recently. It's going to go to game six. Crosby missed a game with a concussion. And I was seeing all these questions, maybe not necessarily on our Facebook group. I saw like on Reddit, Reddit slash r slash fantasy hockey it's pretty good it's a good place where you could ask fantasy hockey questions lots of great discussion there anyways a lot of people were asking oh does this hurt crosby's keeper value now that he has yet another concussion i mean he came back yesterday and he got an assist so it seems like he's fine but i know people get worried with concussions it always gets worse and any concussion you know could be worse and could have an impact are you at all any more concerned about crosby's keeper value now that he's suffered this concussion Somewhat at some point, like you just have to trust team doctors to have made the appropriate diagnoses and taken the proper precautions so that Sidney Crosby can come back and not jeopardize any of his future playing career. You know, there is a small part of me, I hate to say it, like as a generational player who, you know, you're only going to get to see once in your lifetime. Maybe it's time he hangs him up. Like, I know that's very controversial, but I just feel like for the sake of his long-term health, I wouldn't be mad, is what I'm saying. If he said, you know what, this is it. I've gone far enough. I've taken enough damage to my brain. I've given enough to the game. I'll still be an ambassador after my career. Uh, but I've, I'm going to safeguard my brain and body uh, for the rest of my life to keep anything really terrible from happening down the road. So if you're talking about his keeper value, it's, it's hard for me to really get at that i don't think in fantasy hockey terms like if you think of how other people value him as an asset or commodity i don't think it changes i think people were already nervous about it so now they'll just continue to be nervous or maybe be a little more nervous but i still think uh, whatever extra anxiety there is about his health is probably the same that you would have had anyway due to age Uh, he came back very quickly i can only hope that everything's okay and he's not making himself more susceptible to future concussions. Uh, That is how it works. Like the more concussions you have, the more likely it is you'll get another. But I hope every precaution has been taken to make sure that he is playing in as safe a situation as possible. Yeah, of course. But also at the same time, Brian, I feel like it's easy for you to say, yeah, I, you know, I would understand I'd be fine with him hanging it up, but you know, you don't have him in a keeper league. (laughs) I guess if you did, well, you're a great guy. You would obviously be happy for him either way, even if it screwed you over in fantasy. But yeah, it's just, if there is some inflated concern right now, about his value because he suffered this concussion you know anytime there's some market you know just in terms of the stock market right if there's information out there that you feel is not correct that's an opportunity to pounce so i guess in this case if people are more worried about him now's the time maybe to approach the crosby fantasy owner and try to lowball him and be like oh you never know one more concussion and and i I mean you know and i know i sound like a jerk just even talking about this because it's like this is someone's life and i'm talking about a concussion as like you know something that's just fun and games i don't mean that but you know what i mean brian i'm just i want to help i want people to win their hockey pools at the end of the day i also obviously want Sidney crosby to be fine we all want the same thing elon i think you're a great guy 
Okay, thank you. By the way, after I said that I want the people in the chat room to uh, give me a player and I'll try to guess his goal totals, a bunch of names came in and I was just thinking how mad, Brian, would you be if I just started going through each one and guessing the goals and then playing this game and looking and seeing how close I was and asking you, you would hate that. That's why I'm I already so mad. I don't know how much more mad I can get with your tangents this episode. So let's keep this train on track. Well, I'm almost done. I'm almost done our content and it's only 920. But okay, I'm going to keep the train on track. So, okay, we've already talked about Malkin and Gensel in the last episode and how great they've been doing. They've just kept it up. So both amazing. Gensel, especially like, you know, so exciting to have a young player getting all these points and we all just drool over what his potential is for next year. Probably going to be overvalued in drafts. So make sure to keep that in mind and we'll talk about draft strategy again later in the episode and i feel like a guy like gensel is definitely going to be like going in like the top two rounds in some drafts and everyone's going to laugh and then who knows maybe someone will end up striking gold with him and being like ah i was right all along anyway i want to talk about a guy on pittsburgh that maybe hasn't been getting as much fanfare but how about phil kessel who has 12 points in nine games now He's another guy who's still unranked in our patron rankings. And like I said, we're like 27 players in. And he had a good season. He had 70 points last season. He had been closer to 60 the two seasons before that. So, you know, quietly, you know, really breaking out, getting back, not all the way back to where he was as a Leaf, where he was getting point-per-game seasons for a while. But still, 70-point year is really good. And now he's having a strong playoffs. I'm curious, what Kessel do you expect for next year? A guy who has upside for a point-per-game, like he used to consistently get on the Leafs? Or do you think he can at least be someone you could rely on to be closer to a 70 point guy like he was this year or do you think you would still be ranking him as closer to a 60 point guy like he was the two years before that i'm gonna go with 70 point guy which could be putting myself out there a little bit he'll be turning 30 just as the next season starts uh, and so like we said about gets laugh every year you get older makes it harder to replicate what you've done what i'll be watching really closely are his shots on goal numbers he has declined in his shot on goal total now for four consecutive years, five if you prorate the lockout shortened season. And like maybe a couple of those declines have been pretty small, like 280 to 274. But between two years ago in this most recent season, he dipped 45 shots on goal uh, while playing the same amount of games. And it shows up in his per 60 numbers too. So that's something I'm watching for. I would like him to get those numbers back up. Uh, I imagine he's playing a different role than he has over the course of his career when he was getting in the high 200s for his shots on goal totals. But yeah, I think sustaining high shot on goal numbers is going to help him continue at a 70 point pace. If it continues to decline, then yeah, you can start docking him five points eventually for missing out on that. But I see nothing in his numbers that shows me that what he did last season was something unsustainable. It's just something that I would be a a little more comforted in seeing him repeat if I knew that he was going to start throwing more shots on net. The one inflated number that you find if you look in his numbers is his power play shooting percentage. He scored on seven of 53 shots on goal with the men advantage, which gives him a 13% shooting percentage, which actually isn't that high. It's just high relative to the two seasons before in which he shot at half that success rate. So I'd like to think that he can continue shooting in the low tens for shooting percentage on the power play. And if he does do that, then that's another reason to think that he can continue on at 70 points for another year. 
Yeah, I'd imagine in general your shot quality is going to be pretty good when you're getting passes on the power play from Crosby and Malkin. So it's definitely not unthinkable that he can continue to have a higher shooting percentage than average. Though, if you're saying that he did worse than that on the same team the last couple of seasons, like, you know, you can't know for sure. I like him as a 70 point guy, and I think he's kind of forgotten. Like, you know, now everyone's so excited about Gensel. I'll bet you Gensel is going to be drafted higher than Kessel in a lot of leagues. Brian, you drafted Gensel higher than Kessel in our like couple winners little draft that we did a couple episodes ago and that well i guess they both are really good actually the one that i guess was a mistake for you and i shouldn't you know throw too much shade at you because i think you're winning right now or you're at least ahead of me but you took shiri ahead of kessel as well i guess you really were excited about that crosby line but anyway it'll be fun to see where kessel goes like i'd love to know brian who you would take between like kessel and someone like leon dreisaitl we talked about earlier i don't know why i keep bringing up dreisaitl i just i he just for some reason i feel like you're the type of guy who would go with kessel a guy who's done it before over a guy like dreisaitl who, you know, is only starting to be like a 70, you know, but Drysaddle has been like almost 80 point guy. Kessel, we're saying maybe 70. So I feel like Drysaddle is the clear favorite and it makes sense that he's ranked 21 while Kessel hasn't been ranked yet. Well, again, it goes back to thinking about how much risk you want to take on. Like, I know pretty much what Kessel's role will be in Pittsburgh next year. I know what he's going to be able to do with that role. I can't say the same for Drysaddle. So I feel a little more comfortable with Kessel. But if you want to roll the dice and go for the home run, then Dreisaitl could have the better upside. Yeah, I guess it's more likely to see point per game from Dreisaitl at this point. Okay, and then uh, finally over on Washington, what was up with Ovechkin playing on line three with Lars Eller and Tom Wilson yesterday? Like, was Washington just trying to spread the offense around? Or is there something more? Like, are they disappointed in Ovechkin? Like, he's having a decent playoffs overall, eight points in 11 games. But, you know, decent is good for most players. This is Alex Ovechkin. Like, you know, Malkin and Getzlaff are well above a point per game. And Ovechkin, eight points in 11 games. It's okay. What is that, like a 70-point pace, probably? Like, we ranked Ovechkin seventh in our patron rankings, which was down six spots because he was number one going into last year. And I should mention these rankings are for the Kakupful, which counts goals, assists, shots, special teams, points, and blocks. Obviously, a league that counts shots, you're going to really value Ovechkin, though we talked about all throughout the season how he dipped in shots this year and even had a couple of those zero-shot games, which were so rare for him beforehand. Anyways, at this point, have the playoffs changed your opinion about him? I don't even know if you agreed with him being seventh. Like, is that a fair projection for you or a fair ranking for you? Or do you see him being higher than seventh most viable player in the couple or lower? And yeah, this third line thing concerns me. Like, if he's like he's supposed to be the guy, the top guy on Washington that they put out in all situations with their best players, right? I think it's reasonably fair to have him at seventh. I don't think this means that he's going to be a third line winger next season. What my interpretation of this is Barry Trotz was behind in a series needed to try and figure out a way to get back into it. And they won by the way, with this line combination. So I don't know that you can really criticize it. And I think the thinking is that if you shut down Ovechkin playing with Backstrom, you shut down two significant scoring threats on the capitals. But if you have Backstrom on one line and say Kuznetsov on another, and Ovechkin on another, those are three different lines with huge scoring threats that you need to try and shut down. And that's the sense I get of what Barry Trotz was trying to do. Stacking that top line wasn't working. Pittsburgh was effectively shutting them down. So spreading them out now and hoping that you find a weak spot in Pittsburgh's lineup while one of them is on the ice might be a better tack. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I got to ask the questions. I'm trying to ask the question I think the listener is thinking. And yeah, when you get concerned whenever a star player of yours is playing on the third line. But yeah, it makes sense. You got to spread things around, especially when you're losing in a series and going into an elimination game. Maybe now's the time to approach the Ovechkin owner in your keeper league and be like, look, can, can you believe this guy on the third line? He's worthless. Here, let me give you uh, Joe Pavelski for him. I'll take him off your hands. You know, who knows what you could pull off. I'd love to know if anyone can buy low on like Crosby or Ovechkin at this point because of these things we've just been talking about. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know about your offseason trades or if you want to discuss any potential trades, we'll give you our feedback. Brian, I'm talking about our Twitter account now because I'm winding the show down. Uh, That's it. That's all the content I have. Are you sure there's nothing else you'd like to talk about? Like the best middle six forward in the NHL or the best bottom pairing, but maybe could be top four guy next year? I mean, you're mocking me here. I feel like those would be very interesting topics. Yeah, they would be. They would be. <laughs> they, they might be things we engage later on this summer, but not tonight. Okay, yeah. So thanks, everyone, for joining us live. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, everyone, who's listening to the show throughout the summer series. I want to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. We didn't really mention it too much. We talked about our patron rankings, but now's your opportunity to test out being a patron of the podcast for, like, such a little pittance, a little drop, like, literally any amount you want to give us. Give us a dollar a month. We'll invite you into the patron-only Facebook group and to our monthly patron casts and whatever other perks we have, the couple. Like, obviously, you'll have to be a full patron next year to actually be in the couple, but we're going to be talking about it over in the Facebook group. The couple, by the way, is the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantrax League or Fantasy League, which is like the best fantasy hockey league you're ever going to be in. And we're going to be getting into that soon. So a lot of fun being a patron. I think you'll like it. Why not try it out? KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. Little programming note here. We'll most likely be back at you with another episode in a couple of weeks. I'm actually going to be on vacation. So Brian, we're going to have to talk about what we're going to do about that. Maybe we'll have a guest or something. So stay tuned anyways to our Twitter account. We'll announce if there's any schedule changes, but assuming not, if you don't hear anything, that means we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode. And you can join us live, keepingcarlson.com slash live. Uh, With that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job, as always, Brian. I look forward to doing this all again with you at some point. Yeah. Okay. Well, until then, keep on keeping Carl's son.